Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown live show coming at you on a Friday afternoon, and pleased to welcome on the show friend of the breakdown, Yovan Buha, who is the Lakers beat writer for The Athletic. Uh, Yovan, I love to get you on the show and chop it up. We have to see each other in person on these days soon, so let's make that happen, but great to have you here virtually. Uh, how's it going this summer so far? It's been a, it's been a busy summer. <laughs> a lot <laughs> Not much Not has actually much. happened, but a, a lot of a lot of talk. Uh, that is true. Keep your <laughs> keeping your keyboard uh, nice and spicy these days. Uh, and I reached out because I had just read your fantastic article on the in the Athletic about the Russell Westbrook situation. I think it's on a lot of people's minds in and around LA, but probably across the entire landscape of the NBA. Primarily because, you know, it's funny, a normal year, he would be the guy, okay, where is he going? How that's, How is that going to, you know, move uh, the other pieces around the NBA? This is a weird time, right? Because there's a lot of a number of other people that potentially are on the trading block. So how does this, where, where do you see the Russell Westbrook situation measuring up in terms of the, the general NBA discussion? Yeah, well, I think everything is in a gridlock right now with the Kevin Durant situation. I, I really think that's the first big domino. Uh Donovan Mitchell kind of to the side, I guess, created his own stack of dominoes that we, we could see how that plays out. But but even that, you know, you have teams like Miami who I think would be interested in Donovan Mitchell, but their first priority is going to be a Kevin Durant. So I, it feels like until Kevin Durant makes his decision of I'm staying in Brooklyn or I'm going to Team X and Brooklyn can get the, the requisite assets back, that we're, we're kind of in a holding pattern here with the Lakers They've explored other talks with, you know, you know, the Pacers and the Hornets and looked at, you know, different types of deals that different paths, potentially some with Westbrook, some without Westbrook. Uh, you know, th they have someone in Taylor Horton Tucker, who at 21 years old still has some potential and is on a movable contract. Uh, you know, I, I saw you shake your head. I mean, depending on depending on who you talk to has potential and, and obviously has had coming off a disappointing season, did not live up to the contract that he signed last offseason for sure. Uh, so I think their Lakers are exploring many things right now, but you know, the, the one kind of holdup has been the asking price for Russell Westbrook is a minimum of one first round pick. And a lot of cases is two first round picks and the Lakers have not been willing to give up a second first round pick in a Westbrook deal at this point. Now, I think that could change potentially in the future. I think when we get to training camp, depending on how things play out, we, we saw the icy non-interaction between LeBron and Russ at Summer League. If that relationship does not thaw and, and you know kind of get back to where it was a year ago, then you know potentially the Lakers could have more impetus to flip Westbrook and, and include that second pick. But uh, I, I think they're trying to gauge does this trade make us a contender? And if it does not make us a contender, is it really worth giving up two picks just to upgrade from a Westbrook to a, a guy like a Buddy Heald or even a Miles Turner? So those are all the things that they're weighing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I really think the Westbrook deal, especially in regards to Kyrie, is really tied up with the whole Kevin Durant situation. So what you're telling us is we're not going to get a, uh, why did they do that? <laughs> Are we? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I mean, again, maybe they end up flipping Russ to Indiana for, for Heald and Turner and, you know, there, there's picks in that. But aside from that, I think the most likely scenario is either holding Russ and then figuring out, do we send him home? Do we keep him? Do we bring him off the bench? Like, what do we actually do with him? Or potentially flipping him for Kyrie down the road. But that would, again, I think have to come after whatever happens with Kevin Durant. Fair enough. Um, 
So you talked a little bit about, I, mean, I, I didn't have the, the guts. I was going to, when the announcement was made that he, uh, Russell Westbrook split up with his agent, uh, I wanted to quote tweet that and say, this obviously means something a lot more than just this little item. And I didn't, I didn't feel like getting into the whole thing, but uh, it seemed like there was enough digging. You did some reporting on this. So can you fill us in about what that means and why he broke up with his, uh, his longtime agent and, and what the response by the agent was? Yeah, so th- th- this was something that I-, I think had been in the works for weeks, if not months, if not a little bit longer. Uh, I think that the relationship ha- had started to go south a bit. And, you know, you don't break up with your agent of 14 years uh, over a small disagreement or even a, necessarily a, a big disagreement. Like mo- most of the time, stars, you know, stars have gone agent to agent in, in some cases, but. This was supposed to be one of the closer player agent relationships in the NBA. That was something I had always heard. Uh, you know, it, it was something that even dealing with that and, and other clients, like you just knew that him and Russ were really tight. And I, I think the, the most interesting kind of part of this is that Thad is one of the most behind the scenes agents in the league. And, and you'll see certain agents, you know, they're, they're always front and center. They're, they're sitting courtside or, or they're going to events with, with their players like Thad is much more, or, or they're they're talking to the media. Like Thad does not do that. He's very private, very behind the scenes. So for him to uh, release a five paragraph statement publicly condemning Russ and, and spilling some of the tea with their breakup, I thought was really telling of of kind of the way that that relationship ended. And, and clearly, he felt his message was not getting through to Russ. So he's like, I'm gonna go public with this message, and I'm gonna see if. You know, getting it on ESPN and getting Stephen A to talk about this, or, or you know, all the pundit, you know, big national pundits talking about this, can this maybe get through to Russ? Um, now, of course, you know, we've only heard Thad's side, so I'm sure Russ ha- has his version of events, and I don't know if we'll ever hear that w- with the way that Russ operates and you know, doesn't do a lot of interviews. Uh, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll ask him about it during training camp, but I, I doubt he'll give us much. Uh, but I, I just think. You know, really reading between you know the lines here and, and, and looking at the tea leaves, like I just think Russ continues to to lack self awareness of where his value and where the perception of him is currently in the NBA right now. And you know, pe- I, I know that the Russ stands come at me and it's like, oh, he had one bad year, or like, oh, you know, it's Frank Vogel's fault, it's LeBron's fault, this and that. But like, you just have to face the reality that. We, we just talked about it, the going price to take on this guy as an expiring contract, which you could view kind of as a positive of like, this guy's expiring, you could clear some cap space, but like teams still just don't want to deal with the headache of having Russell Westbrook in that situation. The going rate is at least one first round pick, if not two, like he is coming off a year where he was 17, eight and eight had, you know, career lows across the board in many categories. And he's just not, did not look like an all-star all NBA guy last year. And, you know, the jump shot's getting worse. The finishing around the rim is getting worse. The defense was some of the worst in the league last season statistically. So, you know, people can kind of attribute or, or, you know, prescribe whatever reasoning to that. But the truth was Russell Westbrook was not good last year. The Lake, you know, he, he was brought in to be the third guy to carry the team on nights when LeBron and AD were out. He did not do that. And I think he does not realize that. And he showed that in his exit interview. I, I don't know if you saw some of the quotes from that or saw the video of that, but like his exit interview, he threw everybody under the bus. And his one uh, form of taking accountability was like, I didn't average a triple double, so I didn't have my normal year. And it's like, if that is how you're measuring your success versus your team record 
versus you not doing the things you said you were going to do before the season. And that's why when I hear stuff like Darvin Ham saying he's going to dig in defensively and he's going to play off the ball now, like Frank Vogel said the same thing 12 months ago. And there was the same kind of, we're going to figure it out with Russ. We're going to use him off the ball. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And he didn't do any of it. And, and he tried for a couple of games and, and then he reverted back to the guy he's been for 14 years. And it worked when he was a elite top 0.01% athlete. He's no longer, I mean, he's still an elite athlete, still top 1%, whatever, but uh, in the NBA, but he's, he doesn't have the same explosion and burst that he used to. He doesn't have the same finishing. And I just think you've seen how that's really hurt his game. Sure. Well, uh, now I have another question for you on the agent side, but obviously what to, to comment on what you said, um, there's no question he's diminished a little bit athletically, but I still see bursts. Um, I've, I've kind of been on this train for a long time and, uh, and tried to get people to understand that, like, first of all, I've heard this amongst NBA circles that he's much more concerned with triple doubles than he is with anything else. Um, you can argue like in baseball, if you're trying to, you know, hit for the cycle, whatever, it's going to benefit your team. Like you can be that way as a hitter first, I guess, in theory, but in basketball, it doesn't always work that way. And, cer- and certainly there's the, the, the ethos of like, you should be team first, but then the point being that, yes, it seems clear. And it seems like you want to back that up, that, that the triple doubles seem to be a thing that he was having a hard time understanding that it's not, he, you can't just expect that's what you're going to be able to get every night, uh, on this team. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, uh, again, I don't think that that is purely, and I, I wish I knew off the top of my head, the, the Lakers record in the games that he had triple doubles, but I would assume it would be around 500. Like, I don't think it really made a big difference for the Lakers that he was getting right. triple doubles. And, and again, honestly, like as someone who watched every second of Lakers basketball last year and watched a lot of it multiple times upon, you know, rewatching games, looking at synergy clips. Like there's a lot of games where Russ, you know, I think that 17, eight and eight was a little misleading where there'd be times he'd be going into the fourth quarter with like eight, four and four. And he ends up with the 17, eight and eight or or even 20, 10 and 10, but it was kind of empty. The Lakers are down 25 points and it's not really meaningful numbers. So I think there was some stat padding there in the fourth quarter for sure. Uh, a lot of fourth quarters, but again, it's, it's not about numbers. Like, like, you know, and that, that's kind of been, I think the Russ issue since, especially since he split up with, with Kevin Durant and started going on this triple double tear and, and averaging multiple seasons with triple doubles. It's like, okay, well you've gotten out of the first round one time. And the one time you did that, the team that you were on had to trade away their center and basically restructure their entire roster and system to go super small ball and use you as a center because you're such a bad shooter. So I think in on all other scenarios, like, you know, the Thunder lost either lost in the first round or didn't make the playoffs. And last year, the Lakers didn't even make the play in. So I just think his style of play, especially as he's aged and, and, you know, guys with guys that are very athletic and rely on their athleticism. Once you start to lose that athleticism, even if it's a little bit, which I agree with you, it's, it's just a little bit that still affects your effectiveness and, and sometimes a lot. So, you know, again, he could put up triple doubles, but I think if Russ is, you know, playing a prominent role in your team right now, it's hard for you to be better than a first round and out team. I, I just think I, I, it's hard to construct a, a better team than that. Do you feel stressed out and unsure what you can do to relax, not just your body, but your mind? You have to try Calm, the number one mental wellness app that gives you the tools you need to improve the way you feel. Start by taking a deep breath, let it out, 
Then download the Calm app and use it to not only clear your mind and be more present, but they've got imaginative sleep stories and daily movement sessions to help you recharge and unwind. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds. And for listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash bball. Go to calm.com slash bball for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash bball. And, and there's a lot of chatter going on right now about Russ in the, in the comments. And by the way, if you want your comment on the screen, we can answer it directly. Uh, the Super Chat's the way to go on YouTube. Um, and here's my thing. Like I had one of my bigger viral videos I had, you know, in the beginning uh, was about Russ and his finishing at the rim. This was probably back in like 2015 at the, in his prime. And he was never like a really good finisher. He was always sort of average in the percentile in on like synergy, for instance. And I would explain why, like he would just go barreling in full speed, you know, crazy athletic ability, but like lacking the finishing you need at that speed and at those angles. And he never worked on that. He never got better at that. Like on the margins of a couple of seasons, he got a little bit better, but he was always closer to average. And so you lose a little bit of athletic ability. And then what that average finishing turns into is what we saw, I think, last year. I actually I, I felt bad for Russ by the end. I truly did. You had, you, you had footage of him on the bench, like talking to AD and LeBron. And you almost got the sense he's like, hey, guys, please don't trade me. Like I, I really felt like that's what he was trying to get to them because he his his um confidence was so low i mean you were around the team directly could could did that feel that palpable when you're in the arena that you know he was complaining about uh the the fans yelling at him and like in, in a way that he would have been drinking those tears in for motivation in the years past he that that seemed to really hurt him and he just seemed to feel like i'm not the same player i was he won't he wouldn't say it out loud to the press but did you feel that like uh watching him and up close and personal yeah, I mean, it it really got ugly there. Like, I, I remember a game in, in Sacramento, uh, and I want to say this is like uh, probably January, February, where uh, they played uh, Cold as Ice, the, this little <laughs> soundbite from, from, you know, you're as cold as ice. And it was every time Russ missed. And I think that game, he went something like two for 13 or, or something egregious. And it was like every time he missed, they played that. And he talked about it, you know, after that game and like, I mean, but, but to your point, like, I think, you know, Laker fans turned on him as much as, as anybody. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that there was a lot of booing at, at home games. Um, you know, he'd, he'd airball a shot or hit the side of the backboard or something and, and fans would start booing or like he would throw the, a wild pass out uh, into the third row and, and fans would start booing. And, and then, as you said, I think you saw that with, his teammates, especially with LeBron and AD, there stopped being in the first half of the season, there was a lot of defense of Russ of like, Hey, you know, he's still getting adjusted and we got to let Russ be Russ and, and different things they were saying. And I think that defense started to, to kind of go away toward the, the second half of the season. And I mean, Russ basically acknowledged as much where, uh, when we asked him at his exit interview, we were like, you know, didn't you, uh, LeBron and AD kept saying, let Russ be Russ. Like th they were publicly encouraging you. Like, did you not like get that sense? And he was like, come on. Like th they weren't being like, and he basically dismissed it. And that to me was, was kind of, you know, he, he was paying attention to everything that was being said publicly about him. Uh, so I, I think 
and that to me is like the, you know, we could get into the, the basketball fit and, and clearly there are some challenges in, I think not only having LeBron and Russ, but having LeBron and Russ with the complement of shooters that they currently have, like this isn't up. I mean, I said this, I, I wrote it after their, their free agency additions. This might be the worst shooting team in the league right now. If you look at their percentages going off of last season, only one guy on this roster shot above league average and that's LeBron. And if LeBron is your best shooter, I mean, that, that's a problem. We, we, we've seen LeBron succeed with having great shooting around him, but he can't be your best shooter and, and you expect to be a contender. So I think aside from the actual basketball problems with Russ and LeBron and, and Russ and AD and just that trio, like I think that the relationship with the fans has soured. He did himself no favors with some of his comments, again, going at the fans uh, a couple times in the media. Uh, I, and I just think the relationship with LeBron obviously isn't great. His own agent turned on him and, and they split up. Like, I just think he needs a fresh start somewhere else. And if he's really concerned about stats and triple doubles, you know, go to the Orlando magic or, or go to a team in the Eastern conference, wow. be a seven or eight seed, get your triple doubles, go back to Washington. Like, I, I don't know, but like go, you know, you can, there are teams that will take the, let's be a, a low tier playoff team and, and be a first round exit. But for the Lakers to contend, Russ needs to almost do a 180 on his game. And we've just never seen that from him and no indication he's even considering doing that. Sure. And, and I kind of, the, the title of the uh, the show was, you know, will Russ, Russell, will Russell Westbrook be on an NBA team uh, or I'll be out of the NBA soon. And, you know, I, I saw that Von Tem said just, you know, there was a quote on some, you know, maybe Wendy's uh, pod today where he said that because, and the context is, you know, he's on his fourth team in four years. Right. This will be like if he can stay, it'll be the 14 and five years. And you know, if you want to compare it to like Allen Iverson, same kind of thing happened. Four teams, four years. And then he was gone. He was out. Um, and obviously he's going to play this year. He's enough of a, of a player now. But I would have to imagine, let's just say he does get traded five teams, five years. And that team doesn't play very well. Um, I, I would be worried. Uh, now, I think you also pose a scenario where the locker room stuff seems to be serious enough uh, of a disruption where like, obviously you're serious when you put that in the article, the notion of will they buy him out, I think, or, or, or just pay him to stay home. Can, do you really feel like that's a possibility? I, I think so. Um, I think it, it depends on, uh, again, like I, I think that their are like their, uh, I guess, ideal scenario is, is trading him. And, you know, I think, again, publicly, um, th there's going to be the lip service of we want to make this work. It's a big three. You know, we're getting him to buy in. But if that's the case, then why are you having such serious conversations with Brooklyn and Indiana and previously Charlotte? Like they're trying to trade him. And obviously, in the meantime, they're going to publicly come out and say, you know, wh whatever they want to say. But and that's just how it works. That's the, that's the game. You, you obviously can't. I mean, you, you lose your leverage if publicly you're, you're speaking that way, but, and you also risk, Hey, if, if we can't trade Russ, he's going to be completely checked out if we're alienating him this way. So, um, but I think again, it really comes down to which version version of Russ, because I think lost in this is like, Russ still is a good player. He, he's not a bad player, but for what the Lakers needed, Mm -hmm. like the Lakers ideally needed uh, someone that they had been targeting at the 2021 trade deadline was Kyle Lowry and, and just imagining a guy like Kyle Lowry. And you know, right now I think Kyle Lowry is just, you know, better than Russ, but of course, historically Russ is much better player. Uh, but 
Kyle Lowry can play off the ball and, and we've seen him function even in Miami, you know, he, he's dealt with injuries, some age regression, but like he can still shoot. He, he can, you know, he's a good catch and shoot spot up guy, uh, can secondary play make and, and create and obviously a tough defender who's going to take charges and, and play like a bulldog. And like the Lakers need that from Russell Westbrook. They need what Drew Holiday has provided in Milwaukee. They don't need the guy who, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, is just standing in the corner not being guarded or standing in the dunker spot, hoping he can get an offensive rebound, like, or, or defensively is, is playing matador defense. And the second he gets screened, he just kind of, you know, is drifting backward and like gets out of the play. Like, I mean, th there was a bunch of clips last season of, of his defensive mistakes. And, um, you know, and from what I've been told, he was not receptive to that in film sessions where, you know, Frank Vogel tried to get through to him and would highlight certain things. And Russ was just not having it and not taking any accountability for his mistakes. So I just think like, basically if Russ is not going to change. And, and again, I think part of Thad's messaging seemed to indicate he's kind of like, you need to accept the role Darwin's offering you and, and take that as like your last kind of chance to, you know, save your perception right now, because if you flame out in LA and you go to another team, your perception is taking not just like a, a, a temporary hit, but probably an all time hit of like, we're going to really remember the second half of Russ's career in a negative light. So I think, you know, if he can buy, if he can actually do what Darwin's asking, I think there's a, there's potential here for, for the Lakers to make this work and for them to surprise some people. But again, we've seen teams try to use Russ off the ball for years now, and it has always kind of ended up being either Russ has the ball in his hands or he doesn't. And your team's offense is tanking and, and has some limitations. So I, I just think again, like based on history, I'm skeptical that he's willing to make any of these changes. He said he would last year and he didn't. And until I actually see it on the court and see it for 82 games, I'm going to be skeptical. So, uh, and I think the Lakers are skeptical as well. So that that's, I guess my kind of perspective on, and if they're getting that guy, I think they're going to send him home eventually if they can't trade him, if they're getting the guy that's bought in, I think it can work. Okay. Well, let's go through a couple things. So, um, you know, in OKC, there was a moment when they, ha he was playing off ball and it wasn't even with uh Harden playing point guard. It was, um, Oh my goodness. Skip to my Lou. Who was the guy in OKC? Who was the, the, the point guard? Um, someone's going to tell me. you remember who I'm talking about. Ray for Alston. Thank you. Uh, I believe. So he was playing like that lead guard position and Russ was playing well. And they were actually, probably as good as it ever been and that in that OKC iteration with all those good players. Um, but yeah, since then he's been unable to figure out. And I always said this, this is my whole thing. He comes into the league out of UCLA after two years of never really playing point guard at all in college because he had Nick Collison playing in uh, that position. And he declares that he is a point guard. And I always felt like if he would just shift over to playing the two guard and attack from the wing more than making the decision in the beginning to initiate the offense, he could be a top five shooting guard in the league like earlier than he ultimately became with all the triple double stuff as a point guard. Um, and, I, and I never could figure out exactly how a that happened and then why he got to dictate that. But then sort of cut to, you know, this last year where everyone knew it wasn't going to work because of he, he needed the ball in his hands so much and you already had LeBron and AD there. But I don't think that, you know, having the ball in his hands more would have limited the missed layups and the completely and utterly baffling shots he was taking, right? Like that was what was what I don't understand is um, independent of the fit, 
the the wide open layup said he would be missing, right? That doesn't that doesn't that doesn't account for that at all. So I, I just wonder if um if if we're at a point now where he isn't as effective in, in anywhere anymore. You know, there is no fit for him in the league. That's I think what I'm worried about. Well, the, there was. I mean, to your point, I, I totally agree with you, and, and that's where the, the rust defenders. I, I just um, I, I disagree with them in that. Again, they, they they blame Vogel and and his schemes, and I'm like, but Vogel didn't miss layups. Vogel did not blow defensive rotations. Like if Russ was doing those things at uh, the level, you know, his normal level or, or the level we know he's capable of, then the other stuff, sure, you you know, there's there's some blame for Frank Vogel. I'm, I'm not just you know, I, I think a, a lot of the guys he was playing in his rotation are no longer in the NBA, and like starting a guy like Avery Bradley. And playing him 25 minutes a night, Avery Bradley has not been picked up by another team. So he's going from starting on this team to not even being in the NBA entirely. So like, I, I'm not saying Frank Vogel was blameless, but I think there was plenty of things that were in Russ's control that Russ did not do well. And you cannot put that on LeBron. You cannot put that on Rob Polinka. You cannot put that on Jeannie Buss. You cannot put that on Frank Vogel. That is on Russ. Russ missed layups. Russ did not play good defense. Um, you know, and... Now, I will say there, there was one game in Charlotte and they ended up losing the game. So it, it's kind of funny that I'm using this as an example. But AD and LeBron were out and Russ put up. It was probably his best game of the, of the season, I would say. He had something like 35, 37, triple double. They almost won. But that was the best Russ looked all year because he had the ball and he was just with a bunch of scrappy role players. And it was like, I'm going, I'm taking the rebound. I'm going coast to coast. You know, I'm running a bunch of pick and rolls. And I'm just, it's, it's my show. It's my team. And so like, that's, I guess that's an example of like, I think if you put him in that situation again, he can go for 30, 10 and 10, but the results are going to be a 500 team that probably loses in the first round. So like we've, we saw that in Washington, we saw it in OKC, uh, in Houston, James Harden was at a different level. They had a really good supporting cast. So that team was better. But uh, I just, again, I, I think, you know, unless he magically becomes a, a 36, 38% three-point shooter and tries harder defensively, there's just certain limitations here that I, I just don't think will ever work with, with him and LeBron in LA. You know, it's funny because watching him shoot, it's like it's obvious to me how he can improve his shooting. He hangs on, on the three-point shots too much, uh, and which is the, probably the biggest thing. And I, and I wonder if, like, training-wise and improvement year-to-year-wise, if he's in the gym and it, I wonder if he has the same mentality there as he does, like, with Frank Vogel trying to tell him about his defense, where that's not you're not going to get better if you're not willing to accept, like, what the issues are and then move on from them. Um, you know, he has made a career, a Hall of Fame career, out of being this guy who is, you know, um, oppositional, I suppose is the word, right, to everybody. Um, and so I think that that might be part of it, too. Which, so I don't ever see him being able to, like, get consistent from three-point land, which really stinks. Because I was thinking here, should I do a video? I was, I was going to do Darvin Ham's job for him a little bit and do a video on how Russell Westbrook could actually uh, excel or work in Los Angeles. <laughs> I don't know if it's – I don't even know if it's possible. But, hey, if you're in the comments, tell me if you want me to do this video because uh, – I'd be interested in, in seeing that. Well, let's talk about that because you mentioned uh, what Darvin Ham in, intended for him for this coming up year. but. Uh, can you should we go into details? He was pretty specific about his role and what he, he he sees for us being able to do or wanting him to do. Fill us in on what that was. Yeah, so it, it, it he basically described the the Drew Holiday role in, in Milwaukee of he wants him, um, you know, being a 
an elite point of attack defender, really, you know, being the the defensive captain on the perimeter. And, uh, you know, Darvin Ham is, is implementing Mike Budenholzer's uh, drop scheme and, and pick and roll. So it really is, you know, that guard defender is on an island and you have to get around that screen. You know, you have to decide, are you going over? Are you going under? Uh, but you're kind of on an island there of you're going to try not to give up. You know, they want to force mid-range shots, but you don't want to just be giving up wide open 18-footers. So you got to get around that screen and figure out how you're going to, you know, d- defend that. Um, and, and then offensively, as long as LeBron is LeBron and we have no indication that he's not going to be LeBron next season, like the ball is always, your offense is always at its best in LeBron's hands. That's just, you know, he's one of the best floor generals ever. So I think, you know, again, kind of looking at Milwaukee's offense, it's a lot of Giannis. It's a lot of Chris Middleton. Drew Holiday is more of that third option. And I, I think you're going to see something similar where, um, you know, it's, it's not a, uh, complete analog between LeBron and AD and and Middleton and Giannis, but LeBron's going to have the ball a lot. AD is also going to be, you know, they want to run a four out one in with AD as as the primary guy on the inside. So you're going to, I mean, it's just going to be a lot of LeBron and AD and Russ needs to find ways, you know, cutting, screening, being more active off the ball. I think, you know, there was a, a few possessions early in the season last year where they used Russ as a screener for LeBron and it was really effective because, you know, having a, another guy come screen for LeBron, that's always going to draw attention. And then Russ could roll almost kind of what, what Golden State does with Draymond. Like Russ can do some of those Draymond type things. And he, you know, de- defenses are going to guard him similarly because he's not really a, a shooting threat. So I think using him and getting creative and, and potentially using him, I guess, more like a, a, another big could yeah. be effective. But there's zero interest that, you know, he, he did that. I think it was the and I know Zach Lowe has mentioned this a few times, but like that Memphis game, which was the third game of the season, he set four on-ball screens. The rest of the season, he did not set more than two on-ball screens in any other game. So it was just like, he he tried it a little bit in the beginning and then went away from it. And again, I don't know how much of that's Vogel. I don't know how much of that's Russ, but you don't need your coach to tell you to go set an on-ball screen. I I think you can do that yourself. And uh, so I, I think again, like, and, and look, Russ will get his, his one-on-one in, you know, transition runs in, in, I think the Lakers want to push the pace more and, you know, him on the wings, like that, that can be very dynamic, but I think he has to get creative of like, I'm not going to be running the show and maybe they find some second unit lineups or, or him and AD kind of running the show where, where he gets the ball more, but he's going to be more of a secondary playmaker and more of a third option. And he has to find ways to be effective within that. And of course, he'll get some spot up opportunities, but I don't think the Lakers really want to seek those out as much. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's tricky. Uh, you know, I'm, you probably have better ideas than I do, but uh, I think it, it's just a tricky fit because yeah. he he kind of you know he's always been most effective with the ball in his hands. Uh, that that is true, and effective is a you know relative term to some degree because again, the efficiency has not always been there for him. Uh, the defensive thing, uh, I, I think. I don't see that at all. In fact, you know, he had a reputation as being a good defender. Let's just make it clear. He was never a good defender off ball. He would turn his head. He'd lose his man. The guy would cut. I mean, that was never a good thing for him anyway. Maybe on the ball, the guy's trying to challenge him in a one-on-one ISO situation. He would, he could do that well, but like, I don't know at this point of his career, I haven't seen it for a long time. And I don't, I don't know how you could suddenly tell a 34 year old who hasn't been doing it, that that's, you're going to be your focus. Uh, so I, I think that's going to go sideways. Although I appreciate, you know, coach Ham's, you know, attempt. 
And then, yeah, I think offensively, which is probably, listen, if you have the big three out there with a couple of shooters, you know, that should win a lot of games, right? Independent. We never really got to see like how many minutes did Russ and, uh, and AD and, and uh, LeBron play like, I don't know the minute they played 21 games. They won 11 and 10 in those 21 games. Right. Oh, and by the way, you're right. So it wasn't even amazing when it happened, but you know, they, they certainly didn't get like, I mean, that, that's my thing though, is like, I, it's, I, and you know, I, I would love to give truth serum to LeBron and, and Rob Palenka and, and Jeannie bus and, and just ask all three of them, like, what did you see last year? That is at all encouraging because I, I really personally am struggling to see like, you know, you, you like, cause the, the blanket kind of statement has been, well, they didn't play that much together. And it's like, sure. But like Russ still played in 70 something, however many games he ended up playing. Like, what did you see from that performance right. that you are encouraged by for next season? Because I personally am struggling to take away any positives. I mean, I guess you can maybe say he's, he's due for some positive regression with his finishing. It was, you know, career low numbers. Like, but again, he, he's also going to be 34 next season. Like that is kind of how we see guys age especially point guards tend to hit that wall in their early to mid uh, 30s so i'm just like I, you know to your, again we're, we're asking <laughs> all right russ like screen and cut the way you've never screened and cut before become a better shooter and defend at a level you haven't defended at since your early 20s like i that doesn't seem realistic <laughs> well, you know, so I, I probably see more like a John Wall scenario, which is along the lines you spoke about at the beginning, where like he they didn't he didn't play for a year, right? He was just buried and don't come back, and then they finally got him out of there to L.A. Which I don't know if you've seen the, the John Wall quotes, but he's talking a lot like Russ uh, in 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 some sort of third score, you know, mentality. Like you know, he's part of a big three, and I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I, from what we last saw of John Wall, I don't think it's uh, he, he's there either. Here's a dirty little secret no one's talking about because we're talking about, you know, Russ and diminishing and maybe, you know, the, the finishing, whatever. You know, LeBron is on a deeper trajectory on that end as well. And, you know, nobody wants to talk about it much. But if you look at his finishing at the basket in the last couple of years, it is a distinct difference than what we we're used to from LeBron. And again, it's not like it's below average at, at, or at all. But when you compare that to what LeBron used to do as, you know, just just destroyed, you know, uh, careers with one shot, he he, get, he gets stripped. He misses layups. He can't handle, if, you know, extra uh, long defenders now down by the basket. Like that would be a, almost a bigger concern for me going into this year because LeBron is no younger than he was last year. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and that's why I think, you know, the, the Lakers are, are I, I don't envy the position they're in right now because – um, you know, I think the, the fact of the matter is people know that they basically need to trade Russ that, you know, if they want any shot at contending next season, I, I think they have to, to move Russ. But because of that, you know, people are asking for the moon and asking for what is every possible asset you can give us. And that's what we're going to demand in any trade negotiation. And again, that, that's where it kind of the, the two pick thing comes in. But on the flip side is like, you have LeBron, who is, uh, you know, going to be 38 this season. You have Anthony Davis, who is no spring chicken himself. I mean, he he's approaching 30 soon in a, a year or two, and also has his injury history. Like your kind of window is now. It, it is this season and maybe next season with, with those two. And I think you 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 know you, you they're at kind of a crossroads of like, do we go all in and try you know throw the kitchen sink at Brooklyn and say, we'll give you Russ, we'll give you Talon, we'll give you the two first, 
We'll give you a pick swap. Like we'll, we'll give you whatever you need to get this deal done. We want Kyrie. Like, do, you know, do you do that? Because I kind of think you have to find a way to upgrade this roster. And even if it is from like a seven seed to a four seed, whatever that upgrade is, I think you have to do it because what, what is the point of having LeBron and AD if you're going to give them a, a middling to below average supporting cast that has no real shot at contending? Like, what is the point of having those guys? Is, right. is it, you know, just ticket revenue, like just being relevant, having LeBron and AD and, and being talked about? Like, if you want to contend, you have to make a move and yeah. it's going to cost future assets. But there's a lot of teams that I think would trade places with the Lakers of like, we, we would love to have that problem of having LeBron and AD and having a short window, but at least you have a window, right? Like you have two guys who one healthy are top 10, top 12, depending on how you view AD. So I don't envy their position, but I also think it's like, you, this is your time now. And the longer, you know, if you just punt on this season and say, Hey, we're, you know, next year, we'll, we'll care about next off season when Russ is off the books. LeBron's going to be 39. Like yeah. we've never seen a guy, you know, and, and he's been injured in three of the last four years. So like father time is starting to catch up with him, at least from a health perspective, yeah. uh, obviously on the court, he's been amazing, but I just think if you're the Lakers at some point, you know, it's kind of a game of poker right now of, of who's going to cave first. And I think the Lakers have to cave at some point just because you need to get better. Otherwise you're doing a disservice to LeBron and AD in my opinion. I mean, it's a real problem because he's making $47 million this year and no one wants that contract, even with a first round pick. But, um, you know, I, I, right. The idea being that like, okay, they, they just, they'll give up two first round picks. They'll trade Russ. But like, I just don't know what they're going to get back for that because what are they, I mean, okay. I just ran LeBron over the uh, run over with the bus. I ran the bus over him once going forward. I'm now going to put it in reverse and hit him again going backwards because, um, you know, clearly when you would reference, like they were going to trade for healed, it was announced. It was a great fit. The whole thing. I, you know, I think the story goes, and I'm no insider in this, but the story goes that Russ freaked out and said, LeBron, you told me I was going to go to the Lakers and LeBron and AD must've called Rob Lincoln and said, Hey, you got to make Russ get Russ on this team. That's what we want. And that's what you have to do. It, you know, I'm not talking crazy. I think this is sort of reported loosely yeah. like that. Right. And so this is kind of on LeBron, right? He's the one who did this. So is, is that true? And uh, just expand upon this whole thing about summer league and then not, you know, uh, talking to each other. Cause I didn't go, I didn't get COVID. I didn't go to the Vegas. There's probably a correlation there. Um, you didn't, you went to Vegas, right? You were in summer league. Yeah. You didn't get COVID. No. Wow. Did you like not go out of your hotel room? No, I, I did. I did. Okay. Um, I, I guess I got lucky. Uh, God bless you. Anyway, yeah, so I mean, so I think to, to, to my understanding, uh, you know, the, the Lakers were deep in talks with the Kings for the Buddy Heel deal to the point that there were King staffers that, you know, like they, they were getting the social media graphics ready, like they, they like in the building, they were like, we're getting Kuzma, we're getting KCP, we're getting Trez. Or, or no, I think KCP was actually out of the deal. I mean, that, that was the other thing, too, is that in that deal, the Lakers were going to actually keep KCP and their first round pick which they had to include in the rust trade. So like you're going to be flipping Kuzma, Trez, and, and maybe some salary filler to get Buddy healed. And like that, you know, I, I think probably makes your team better or, or at least is, is close to a wash. Uh, I mean, Kuzma had a pretty good year last year. I think that kind of flew under the radar, but, uh, but yeah, so the, the Lakers, you know, Russ um, and Le LeBron and AD had been recruiting third stars. They had had conversations with you know, Dame and, and different people and, 
uh, you know, had multiple meetings with, with Russ. And the funny thing is that like Russ was, they talked about how they'd all fit and, and some of the sacrifices like 80s, like I'll play more center, uh, you know, to, to kind of fix the spacing issues and LeBron's like, I'll play off the ball more and, and, you know, kind of split it more with you. And Russ was saying all this stuff about, you know, I'll buy in defensively and, and you know, cause Lakers were a top three defense the, the previous two seasons, including the championship year. Uh, and then, you know, I'll, I'll play off the ball. We'll make it work. Da da da. And you know, the, the LeBron and AD, uh, you know, pushed for uh, the Russ trade over the Buddy Heel trade, and, and ultimately that was the the, the deciding factor. Uh, because I, I know that there was a lot of the front office that preferred the Buddy Heel deal, uh, but you know, I, I think at, at the time, like Russ was coming off a good year with with Washington. Like I personally never saw the fit. I always thought that you know, if you look at the guys that have succeeded around LeBron, the, there's always the common element of shooting, and Russ obviously is is one of the worst shooting guards ever. And so, yeah, I mean, it obviously blew up in, in their face, but, uh, yeah, in the summer league thing, I actually had a prime spot. I, I ended up, I was sitting in the front row and LeBron right before the, the tip off just came and sat literally in the seat in front of me. And, uh, so I, I saw the whole thing of like, everybody's coming up to him. Like he's the godfather of, you know, Rob and Darwin and Kurt Rambis and the players, you know, Wenyan, Talon, uh, JTA, like all, all these guys are coming up and, and, you know, kissing the proverbial ring, right. And, and kind of greeting him and, you know, he's LeBron, uh, and Russ is on the other side of the court and the two, you know, never have any interaction and Russ doesn't come up to him. LeBron never left his seat. So, you know, he wasn't going up to other people, but there you just, both guys know how this works at this point in their careers. Like, you know, that if you two don't interact, and it's always kind of a thing at summer league is like who's interacting. Uh, you know, a lot of times teammates come together and then to contrast it the year before, which was, a, a you know, a couple of weeks after the Russ deal, Russ and LeBron went to summer league together and they sat courtside together and they were laughing and joking and like had this, you know, kind of great bond that was on display for everybody. So they go from that to a year later, you guys are literally diagonal on opposite sides of the court and you guys do not interact at all. I just think that's very telling of their dynamic. Like there's no way that doesn't mean something. It might not mean much, but it means something. And uh, again, LeBron is very calculated. Le LeBron knows there's all, I mean, I, I, I posted a video of like, or, you know, when LeBron sat down, there was like 15 cameras around him. Like LeBron knows at all times I'm being recorded. I'm being watched. Like he's very calculated. And for those who did not interact, there was something there. And then Chris Haynes reported that they, they had a meeting that weekend. The big three had a meeting on the phone, but five, four or five days later, Russ fires his agent. So like how, how effective was that meeting in actuality when, you know, that was supposed to be kind of, let's all get on the same page. Let, let's, you know, let's work this out. Let, let's kumbaya. But a few days later, Russ and his agent part ways and his agent publicly then comes out and says, I've been trying to get him to stay with the Lakers and to make this work. So reading between the lines there, I don't know how effective that conversation ultimately was. And I don't know how much of that was a perception thing of like, let's have a meet, you know, it's always the players only meeting. And like the, these guys talked about this and that, but like I'm looking at the actual actions, which is that Russ fired his agent and his agent then come at, came out and said, he doesn't want to be in LA. So I think, you know, the writing's kind of on the wall there. Yeah. 
I, I think that's a really great piecing together of the things. Did LeBron offer you any of his food that he had in the baggie that he brought with him to the? Uh... No, but that, that was funny. He had a, he had a giant bag of uh, of trail mix. It was just a bunch <laughs> of different types of nuts, and and I was like, you know, this yeah. is a. Uh, Hey, a billionaire. Now it became a billionaire this offseason coming to a game with, with a, his own bag of nuts. Inflation, man. It's rough. But, um, <laughs> well, uh, let's see here. Is there anything I don't think I wanted to put on, the, on that bow here? Um, because, oh, oh the, the only thing I find weird is that, okay, Russ says he wants to get traded. And by the way, if you're the agent, you're supposed to listen to what your client wants to do. So although, you know, you're also a long-term relationship, you have to give advice and all that stuff. So I get that dynamic. But why does why does his agent seem to think that he did those deals? All the other ones, like Houston and then Washington and L.A., right? Like in that letter, it kind of made it sound like he that he was taking credit for fashioning those deals. When, as far as I'm concerned, there's these people called general managers. They're the ones who do the deals, right? How, did, did that make sense to you? That part of the letter? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he was more so contrasting, like, because in that part he mentioned that those teams all gave up a lot of players and assets to get Russ. And it was kind of like, you know, remember in the Chris Paul trade, there was a couple of picks involved. Uh, he goes to Washington, there, there's another hall. Mm -hmm. And then even going to the Lakers again, you know, first round pick and, and some valuable role players. So I think he was kind of setting that, he was kind of teeing that up to then flip it where then he says, now the market is telling us that you actually have to attach assets to, to trade Russ and, and, you know, for a team to acquire him. So I, I think he was almost kind of like the duality of like beforehand, you were very valuable and you, you know, teams would give up picks to get you and give up valuable young guys. Now it's the opposite. Now they have to attach picks to take you on. Like, so I, I think it was more so that, but I mean, I think with a guy of, of Russ's stature, any superstar, there's going to be some level of, of buy-in from the player and his representation and, um, so I don't, I don't know if Thad necessarily negotiated all those deals, but he obviously was involved in them and, and had a say in, okay, let's go to Houston. Okay. Let's go to Washington. Okay. Let's go to the Lakers. Like, um, but I, what I took more away was like him contrasting the value of Russ. You used to be valuable and you used to be worth something to these teams. And right now the marketplace is saying you're a negative asset actually. Yeah, and uh, I believe the expression is uh, "hell hath no fury like a LeBron scorned." Um, and I do feel like you know, once you get on LeBron's bad side, like we talk, you, you can ask Montrez Harrell. I, I mean, I, I've, I'm making this up, but in my mind, something happened that was so bad between Montrez Harrell and LeBron, and that's why LeBron said, "Get him out of here," because <laughs> I can't explain that. I don't know. Do we talk? I think we might have even talked about this before. I know that's just now really old uh, stale news but like you know Montrez was a sixth man of the year I think whatever and like you know uh, AD goes down and they still won't play him and, and he had a player option that they needed to get out I, very strange so the point being that I think if you get on LeBron's bad side uh it, it, you know that's probably it and I don't think Russ has has any desire to do that anymore and it, it kind of goes into that notion I was saying when we saw him on the bench after one of his bad games Kind of like, you know, going to them saying, please don't do this to me. I, I, I'm i one of you. I'm one of these top guys in the league. And, you know, um, and, and I, he probably doesn't want to go through that again, I guess, for his sanity. But, I, again, with that contract, I don't know. And we always say this. No one could trade for Gilbert Arenas. You can't trade his contract that way back in the day. Like, it was too big. And uh, John Wall, all these contracts. And yet, sure enough, someone trades them anyway, right? So it no, can no contracts in, uh, untradeable in the NBA anymore. Yeah. So what do you think it's going to take? Uh, do you have any, uh, any ideas? Uh, you know, two first rounders and Russ. I, for... th I, th I think it ends up being two. If he gets dealt, it's it's going to have to be two first round picks. Um, Are they getting a starter even back for, with that? 
Well, I, I think, you know, that that's, uh, you know, it came out from seemingly to me from Indiana's side that Indiana has no interest in the, in the current offer, which is Russ and a first. They want two firsts for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. Uh, and, and then for, for the Kyrie deal, uh, you know, Brooklyn currently does not have interest in taking on Russ. So you would need a third team in there, at which point you'd probably have to send a first to Brooklyn and then also a first to the third team. To, to kind of facilitate that deal. So, yeah, I mean, they're in a tough spot. I, I would be surprised, you know, if they do end up trading Russ, I would be surprised if their two picks are not involved. Uh, I think that's a win for the Lakers if, if they can hold on to one of those picks. But I think given their kind of desperate position and, and lack of leverage, they're probably going to have to give up two picks. Uh, and then I also suspect that they're going to try and see if they can flip Taylor Horton Tucker. And, you know, potentially in that Kyrie deal, and, and get back a Joe Harris or, or Seth Curry or Royce O'Neal, or potentially in, uh, you know, maybe do you flip tail in with a first, try to get a buddy healed or, or someone, you know, a, a workaround deal where maybe you keep Russ, but if you bring in a buddy healed, he's such a shooting upgrade over the rest of the roster that maybe that helps you, uh, at least offensively, because Buddy, I think, comes with some defensive concerns where like him and Russ in the backcourt, I think is, is a pretty flammable uh, mm -hmm. defensive combination but uh yeah i mean th they're in a tough spot but I, I think you know i guess to me the most realistic scenario is is them trading russ at some point with, with two firsts attached uh, i think around the trade deadline you, you can probably get russ or, or flip him for a lower price the problem is you're now 50 games into the season and what type of damage has happened and, and that's where like i think if they send him home and do the john wall thing it's more so we're going to ultimately try to flip him at the deadline versus just, you know, stay home for the whole season. But I'd probably put that, um, I would put, and then I'd, I'd probably put him being sent home as, as maybe the second most likely outcome because I just, I think it's gotten so toxic on both sides that I, I just don't see how, I don't think he's willing to do what they're asking of him. And I don't think they believe he's willing to do what they're asking sure. of him. So um, I think it's all a lot of posturing, a lot of kind of public, uh, you know, you're going to say you believe in it, the relationship, and he's the big three and this and that. But like when it comes down to it, I think if they can't trade him, he's probably sent home or he's, it's going to get so bad that he's probably brought off the bench, in which case he's not even going to want to play. So yeah, I mean, I think, and as I, as I wrote my story, I think this could get a lot uglier than it currently wow. is. And it's already been pretty ugly. Yeah. I mean, we had heard whispers about coming off the bench, I think last year too. And like they probably floated it, got the reaction back and realized that was going to be rough. Uh, I don't see how, like, okay, Miles Turner, so they would go big again like they did for the championship, I guess. Miles Turner, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Buddy Heald, and Austin Reeves. Like, or no, who's so, something like, or Kendrick Nunn. Um, okay. I mean, I, I, I actually like the, the Miles Turner fit with AD because I think you, you have versatility there where, like, because I think the, the current issue or, or one of the issues last season was, you know, AD prefers to play the four versus the five. But the issue with AD at the the four is he tends to become a jump shooter and, and kind of had to become a jump shooter because of Russ's presence and the lack of spacing. Where AD's at the five, he can actually just play in the paint. You got spacing around him. I think that's really the biggest difference there. So if you have a Miles Turner, he's a league average. You know, he, he's a, especially for a center, he's a solid three-point shooter. And he likes to play more on the perimeter. So he can space the floor. AD can play in the perimeter, or I mean, inside. 
And then defensively, I think you got some versatility there where Miles Turner has become one of the better rim protectors in the league, really good shot blocker. And you can kind of always have one of those guys on the floor protecting the paint. So I, I mean, I mean, I honestly, between the two, like I'd rather have Miles Turner than Buddy Heald. Uh, I think Miles Turner is more of a, a playoff player than Buddy Heald is just given his defensive limitations. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I like, you know, I, I think that's an upgraded team. If, if, if you're telling me cause right now, I think they're starting Thomas Bryant, Anthony Davis, LeBron, Austin Reeves or Troy Brown and Russ. And if you flip that lineup into Miles Turner, AD, LeBron, Austin Reeves or Troy Brown and Buddy Heald, I think that's a much, you know, go, going from Thomas Bryant and Russ to Miles Turner and Buddy Heald to me is a solid upgrade. So right. well, I don't know if that's worth two first round picks, but again, I think you have this short window with LeBron and AD and it's like the alternative is just like as constructed, I think they're a playing team. I think they're somewhere between a seven to 10 seed and uh, that's just not good enough if you have LeBron and AD on your team. Yeah, and, and, and the locker room issue, which is a, a thing that you don't want to have to deal with if you don't want to deal with it. And it's certainly something they, they did and are and uh, have been. So uh, I, I think the first, two first rounds is reasonable to, to get rid of to, uh, to do it because, again, the window is small, right? Uh, what, you know, what do you care what happens after LeBron and AD leave at this point? you got to get it done now. Um, well, listen, Yoban, thank you so much for coming on. We went over, uh, you know, I think hopefully because we, we were having so much fun talking. So thank you so much for doing yeah. that. Uh, tell us where everybody can find. Well, I guess we can see on the screen where you can find you, but tell us, you know, anywhere else or what you're working on, what we could be looking forward to in, the, in coming up. Yeah. So I, I just had a feature come out today on the Lakers second round pick Max Christie and, and how, you know, they're, they're high on him. Um, they view him as a three and D prospect down the road. Uh, he did not shoot the ball well in summer league. And, you know, we, I talked to him about that and, and sort of the mental component of adjusting offensively to the NBA level and, kind of how, how you deal with not shooting the ball well. And, and he kind of talked about some of those things compounding. But um, if you have any interest in the Lakers or Max Christie, definitely check that out on The Athletic. Uh, next week, I'll have a story on the depth chart and, and talking to some people about kind of how they see the, the current rotation playing out. So, um, and then I also had a recent Austin Reeves feature uh, a couple weeks ago kind of talking about him and the season he had and, and what he's been working on for next season. So um, definitely check all those out on The Athletic. Check me out on, on social at Yovan Buha, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Uh, so yeah, man, thank you for having me on. TikTok, awesome. I'm, I'm on TikTok. <laughs> I'm on Snapchat, by the way. Go out there and try it. People are like flocking to Snapchat all of a sudden. So go watch all of our videos there. I'm making like three and a half minute versions and people seem to love them. So check it out there. But uh, again, make sure you check out all what Yovan writes. It's uh, the Austin Reeves piece is really, really good. I love the stuff he talked about with his brother, uh, who's also a pro. You can imagine them going at it in one on one. You described that a little yeah. bit. I like to see the video of that one uh, and see how, who, who's the better player there. But uh, you know, we'll have to keep right. We'll we'll come back and talk about Austin Reeves another time because he was one of those guys, a little bit like Caruso, uh, who I, I didn't think was an NBA player. And mm -hmm. you know, through the course of at least for Caruso, a couple of years, kind of convinced me, and certainly is now convinced me completely. And then Reeves comes in there again. I'm like, yeah, he's only on the floor because Kendrick Nunn is hurt and because Trevor Reeves. All these, you know, they had so many injuries. But yeah, listen, his his he LeBron loves him for a reason, and LeBron loves this guy, right? Yeah, yeah, no, he he's solid. Like he he is. I mean, it's funny. Like he's he's the spiritual successor to Caruso of like just this unassuming white guy who like you, you know you just look at it and you're like ah oh, like whatever. But yeah. he's he, I mean Caruso's I mean different players. Caruso's smaller, more athletic. Yeah, uh, Reeves is a better shooter, but like 
or should be a better shooter didn't, didn't shoot the ball well last year but yeah i mean kind of that just that scrappy gonna dive on the the floor for loose balls gonna you know take shots to the face and and you know just give it his all at all times like and yeah. i think he was a surprise last year and uh, i think you might be a starter next season so it, it's you know it's quite the rise yeah, I, oh, I hope he's worked on his game because they're not going to take him lightly this year. They're they're going to be prepared this time, and so. But I think he's. I, I'm. I'm. Hey, I'm ready to see what happens and find out if he's uh, if he's ready to handle the next level of uh, focus for that. So, uh, and as are you, Jovan. So thank you so much for coming on the show and getting the extra focus from the B-ball breakdown crowd. Awesome stuff. We'll do this again, uh, please, and uh, make sure to check everything out he's writing at the Athletic and. Uh, don't forget, sports fans, at Football Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Yovan? <laughs>